Hello and welcome to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the radical welcome of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God to inspire and transform us. We're happy to share that message with you wherever you are on life's journey. Now here's this week's message. first scripture reading is Psalm 114, verses 1 through 8. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why is it, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, 8th chapter, verses 23 to 27. Let's continue to listen for God's word here today. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me now in a word of prayer? Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, blow into our midst. Batter open the doors of our hearts that we may be changed by you today. Nourish us by your word and by your presence here amongst us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. For the last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Walk This Way, which Penny pointed out to me should always bring to mind Monty Python (laughs) and silly walks. We've heard about how God prepares the way for us to walk, that in the special blessing of baptism, we see God's act of creation extended We see in that gift of water and the spirit the unity of all things, that God brought creation into being and and remains connected to it as the author is connected to a story or or a sculptor to their statue or an auto mechanic to to the classic car that they've worked on. But God also connects in other ways as a prophet to the people, a leader in their midst, but also a teacher to the students, as Jesus was a teacher to his disciples. 
the way of Christ, the commitment to Christ is, is fundamentally about honoring that connection between the divine and the human, reminding us that the source of all life is, is at hand, but always beyond our grasp. We heard then about how commitment to Christ is a calling, a vocation, something that sparks a desire in us, something that allows us to use the talents and abilities we have, something that draws us in. But simply wanting to follow Christ is not enough. It's not just about self-creation, about, about uh, following a Jesus of our own imagining, but being called out of ourselves, beyond ourselves, into something greater. And so we are called to commitment beyond ourselves, commitment in our relationships, in friendships to one another, commitment in marriages, commitment in our professions, and of course, commitment to the congregation, to this life we share together. All of these things draw us beyond ourselves, calling for our care and our concern, and mirror Christ's call to be committed to the kingdom of God here on earth. The work of justice, not just in the church, but in the world. After all, Jesus did not say, God so loved the church, but God so loved the world. A vocation, on the one hand, is born of our aptitudes, but it also is not simply what comes naturally to us. That is why I love the Monty Python image. It is, in some ways, the call to a silly walk, an unnatural walk, something that is, uh, uh, at times, at odds with the way things are. And when we see and recognize a vocation in its full flourishing, we see often that it is over and against what is normal and everyday. It is something great. So we see the great athlete who continues to perform beyond their prime, and we marvel at that commitment. We see the marriage that stretches over 50, 60 years, and we wonder at that. And then we see a congregation. We see a congregation that heeds its call to be committed to the way of Christ that continues to survive and thrive even in this season of decline for churches everywhere. Of course, the way of Christ to which we commit ourselves is also the way of prayer. And prayer is when we expect or even anticipate the arrival of God, the arrival of God to minister to the world, and to us. Prayer is our invitation for God to show up. And so we should not be surprised when God does. And that is a good place to, to find us here in the boat with the disciples when they go and rouse Jesus, calling upon him to save us, for we are perishing I wonder if they expected God to show up there on the sea that day. Of course, this story also brings together all of these aspects. It, it begins by telling us that Jesus got in the boat and the disciples followed him into the boat. Of course, they met the storm the windstorm that kicked up waves that were swamping the boat, the seemingly unstoppable force of nature, and then 
God shows up. Now, the story of the calming of the storm is told in in a number of the Gospels. In Mark's account of this story, we're told that there are other boats. There are many other boats that are also caught in the storm, but the disciples are the ones in the boat with Christ. But here Matthew says there is just the one boat. This storm is just for them. You're welcome. And so I wonder what that little detail uh, indicates to us, what that difference suggests to us here today. What does this boat represent and what is the storm? The obvious answer, as most biblical commentators point out, is that the boat is the church. The boat is where the disciples of Christ are gathered together. Of course, it's important to remember that it's not the boat itself. Much in the same way that the boat is not the disciples, the church is not the sanctuary. It is not the building. The church is a people. At the beginning of Psalm 114, which Carrie read for, it, read for us, it says, When Israel went out from Egypt, the people became God's sanctuary. Israel became God's dominion. In other words, the people, the community, is where God lives out God's commitment, God's covenant with the Israelites. Of course, Christ said, where two and three are gathered, there I am also. And it's an important reminder that that when we talk about Following Christ, we talk about it always in the context, not of the solitary individual, but but the community. Even when Jesus found someone in need of healing off by themselves alone, it was always the case that part of the healing involved returning them to a community. And that as he went, Jesus was always inviting people, sometimes quite unsavory people, to join his community to follow him, to get in his boat. And so when we think about what the church is always in every age, we should think about it as this people on the way gathered together following Christ. The storm is often described as a stand-in for all of the storms we experience in life. The everyday Efforts, the the seasons of suffering, the tempests of temptation, all of these things that just arise naturally in the course of things. I don't know about you, but when I start to see the wind picking up or or the skies darken, I turn to my weather app. I want to know just what the temperature is going to be. I I want to see what the barometric pressure is doing. If I'm really concerned, I I fire up the the video of the local newscaster, and he's got L's and H's and green lines and purple lines on the screen, and presumably it all makes some kind of sense. They generate these models of the weather, and, you know, most of the time it's pretty accurate. And all of this is, of course, it gives us this reassurance that there is a certain, that there is an orderliness, even to these storms, And so we can expect and we can know what to anticipate. We can know when we should be afraid, when we should stay off the roads, and when things will be all right. 
And in a lot of ways, I think we approach many of the storms in life the same way. We think that we can plan for and measure these things. Uh, We all have been given and furnished so many tools to navigate all the difficulties of, of our times. But of course, a storm is still a storm. And while that is the typical understanding of this, I think, again, it's important that there is just the one boat in this storm. This is a storm for the church. And when we hear it that way, we hear what they say a little bit differently. The disciples rouse Jesus and they say, they don't say, I am perishing. They're not concerned for their lives. They say, we collectively, we are perishing. The Greek word is apolumatha, means to utterly destroy or kill or slay. It means to be undone. I think of the line from uh, Shakespeare's The Tempest. As the boat is crashing, they say, we split, we split. The Greek word means to slip away or to vanish, even to vanish beneath the waters. And in some ways, that is a very fitting way to think about the threat the church has faced in every age, just vanishing away, overwhelmed by the storm of this world. We wonder about what sort of storms could bring about such an end. Couldn't certainly be the same old storm as as, as we're talking about. It's not the weather for sure. In fact, for the most part, the church is supposed to be a place of shelter, A place where we come when we're having difficult times, when we're suffering grief or sadness, disconnection, unemployment. The church is a place to weather the storm, but this storm, we are told, threatens the life of the church. So what kind of storm could do that? I think think the threat here is not so much the storm itself. But as Jesus says, the commitment of the disciples. It is only when the church fails to meet the storm with commitment to Christ that it is truly in danger. I think many people lose faith in the church or drift away because they've either found other ways to weather the storms of life, but more often than not, it's because they no longer see the church as a place where there's enough conviction to do what Jesus does, which is to rebuke the storm, to speak against it. And of course, churches are not often places of utter calm either. They often are places where you can find storms, a tempest in the teapot. It takes a lot of work, I think, It takes a lot of emotional and spiritual work to be able to make the church a place that is not just friendly but welcoming, a place where we actually try to live according to Jesus' teachings about justice and commitment and equality, to not just have a little faith, as the disciples do, but to have a deep commitment to loving God and to loving our neighbors. That, That takes a lot out of us. And we also often emphasize the fact that we don't 
expect people to come here and be the same. We do not expect people to all come fully formed into this body. Instead, we recognize that we are all at different stages on life's journey. We are all wandering in the way. But one thing that happens when you are a part of a church, I think, when you feel yourself to be there, when you're committed to the community, we see that reverse. That we're no longer individuals on the way first. We are members first and individuals second. And that can be very empowering, I think. Because when the storms are great, and when we are in need of shelter, or indeed when we are in need of the dead calm that comes with release from the storm, it is without a doubt true that there is no way to do that on our own. We need two and three and as many as we can gather. The church that is rooted and grounded in faith and love, that is the church that thrives in the midst of the storm. And so Jesus asks his disciples, why are you afraid? He says, why are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of dying here in the boat? Are you afraid of the storm? Are you afraid the boat will turn over? Don't you know whose boat this is? Don't you know whose sea this is? One of the small differences between Matthew's telling of this story and and the one in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus asks the disciples, why are you afraid after he has rebuked the storm? I think it's telling that there already was calm. They were already safe, but the disciples were still afraid. And Jesus asked them, why? Why are you still afraid? And I think it's probably because it's just as jarring to find yourself in a storm as it is to suddenly find yourself freed from that storm and to wonder how that happened and what comes next. In Meditations of the Heart, Howard Thurman writes, God is near to all who call upon him in truth, but there is an intimate fear of being true, the fear of exposure, of being assaulted with no protecting shield, And this fear carries over into the deep outreach of our hearts in prayer. I call, but do I truly expect an answer? Or am I fearful that there will be an answer and I will shrink from the responsibility it implies? The call to God must be genuine as my need, he concludes. There must be the same radical earnestness of the reach for help, as there is in the trepid agony of my need. This is to call upon God in truth. And so as a church, if we do not fully find ourselves truly in need of God, then we cannot be surprised when we do not find ourselves truly expecting God's arrival and aid. If we don't trust in God's commitment to the world, it is hard to risk our own commitment as well. But there are moments in this world, there are moments in this life when we sense with the deep longing all the things Christ longed for as well. We sense the need for wholeness and abundance in our lives. We sense the need for justice for the poor and oppressed, 
for care and concern for the sick, for healing, for inclusion, for a community, not of uniformity, but one of unity, for hope, even in the face of death. If these really are our longings, if these are truly the desires of our heart, then committing ourselves to Christ also commits ourselves to the responsibility that comes with confronting them. I don't know if any of you had an opportunity to watch uh, the video of Tyree Edwards' um, death at the hands of the Memphis police. It was released on Friday. Um, He was a 29-year-old man, a skateboarder, a father. He was on his way home. He'd been pulled over. It's not apparent that he had done anything wrong, but over the course of a Many minutes, uh, there was just an escalation of violence, and then there it was in real time, watching a man being beaten to death. And even when he was uh, screaming out for his mom to come and save him, she was just down the block. The officers didn't stop beating him. There was a level of violence and savagery that was on display that was uh, truly horrific in that video. But the worst part almost, it's hard to tell what's really the worst part of such a thing, but the worst part, I think, was after this violence had been done to this young man, they simply ignored him. No one bothered to check and, or administer medical aid for many minutes. There was a long delay before the EMTs could arrive. And that almost is, is worse in some ways, to turn away from that violence. And of course, this is just one in many of a long string of such videos, and there is a way that we respond to these videos. There is a formula we have worked out for how we respond, and to their credit, the Memphis Police Department acted swiftly to make public the knowledge of this act, to hold accountable some of the officers who were involved in it. But still, one thinks that it is not enough, that this kind of violence and indifference on display by folks who are ostensibly meant to protect and serve is something that cannot be abided. And one wonders, what shall the church say to such a storm? What shall the church say to the fact that violence is so often treated as the only tool in the tool belt for achieving peace? It brings all new meaning to those words that followed the storm, dead calm. What is the cost of dead calm in this day? But this brings me back to Monty Python and our silly walks. I know. I know. You see, violence is not the way of Christ. Nonviolence is the way of Christ. And it has always seemed like foolishness from the perspective of those who use violence as a tool. To commit to the way of Christ is to commit to the way of nonviolence, to seeing even our enemies, even a suspect, even a prisoner, 
as a brother or a sister or a sibling first. And to know that hatred and violence only breed more hatred and violence. And that true strength comes from seeking peace beyond the devil's bargain of using violence to make peace. And so we are called to eschew that pattern so commonplace in our day, the tool as reliable as the weather app is, and instead say, no, we are committed to a different way, that there has to be another way to weather the storm than this violence. There are indeed threats to life that we confront all the time, but in this boat, where the followers of Jesus are, we know that we are stronger than the storm because we are in the boat with Christ and we are in the boat with one another. As the psalmist says, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Tremble at the presence of the God of Jacob. And so even though it was the disciples who were afraid, it was Christ who stood up and made the storm tremble. And Christ who continues to make the storms of violence and injury and poverty and disinterest and isolation, Christ continues to make these storms tremble. And when we stand in the presence of Christ and in the presence of God, we too can make the storms tremble. And we don't have to be afraid. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Union Congregational Church and our life together, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or find us on social media, at Church by the Park. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.